Good morning. I want to thank you for coming out this morning. It's uh, rainy. It's Saturday. And I might be in bed back at home in Dallas if uh, it was this kind of morning. But, and that's only because it's an hour later in Dallas, by the way. (laughs) My name is Doug Rice. I'm the Executive Director of Stewards Foundation, have been since August of 2010. You see behind me a verse that we like to use. It's, I guess you could say, our theme verse. I don't think it's unique to us. I think uh, BSS uses it as well. But you'll notice in there the key, key word is stewardship, isn't it? And the idea in that verse is being faithful. Uh, Stewards Foundation's desire is to be faithful with all that the Lord has given us. And it's, it's His. Everything we have is His. Whether it's spiritual or temporal in nature, it's the Lord's. A man by the name of William McCartney was the driving force behind Stewards Foundation. He was uh, in the furniture business in Chicago. And as a younger man in furniture sales, he went through an experience at his home assembly where they decided that the facility they were in was too small. And so they decided that they needed to build a larger facility. There was a meeting called, and in that meeting there was discussion of how that new facility would be financed. And they decided that the best way to finance that facility was through gifts from the Christians in the assembly and from offering notes. In other words, uh, a loan, if you will, from the Christians there with interest. The question was asked, well, why don't we just go to the bank The response was, the bank doesn't really like small church groups. They're risky. And especially among the assemblies of the Lord's people because there's no denominational headquarters. There's nobody to lay your hands on in the event that there's a default. Well, in Mr. McCartney's mind, that raised a question about whether it was a good idea to invest in that effort of the assembly. And so he took... A little bit of his money and gave it as a gift for the work and took the remainder and invested it in the bank. I don't know what time this was in our country's history. I have a guess that it was not long before the Depression hit because he lost all of his money when the bank failed that he had invested. And that was a very important lesson in his life because that was the seed thought for Stewards Foundation. Stewards Foundation serves New Testament pattern assemblies. This is actually language straight out of our Articles of Incorporation that were signed in March of 1945 by Mr. McCartney and four other brothers in the Chicago area. We are a service organization. We're here to serve the assemblies of the Lord's people. Those that are a part of Stewards Foundation, as member assemblies as we call them, sign two documents each year. One of them is our statement of faith, and one of them is our service guidelines. Now, the statement of faith is pretty fundamental, and so there might be many groups that could sign that. In fact, I have people that come to me from denominational groups and say, can you loan us money? And I said, well, here are the two documents you'd have to sign. Statement of faith, they might be able to sign. Service guidelines, a little bit different. Because the service guidelines essentially address number three, are organized and operated in accordance with biblical principles. And that's not always true as far as we read the New Testament is concerned with every evangelical group. Boulevard, for example, is a, is a member assembly, and we're very thankful for that, by the way. So this really defines the group that we serve. Um, we are interested in having good relationships with our member assemblies. The member assemblies are those who have the right to vote on our board of trustees. And in turn, then, each year, we provide our member assemblies with an audited financial statement. So you can see how the money comes in and how it goes out. So these are the ones that we serve. 
Well, you remember the story I told you about Mr. McCartney. He decided that around 1945, the United States is just coming out of World War II. There are a number of new fellowships that are coming into being. There's expansion across the United States. And there's a real need for money, for loan dollars, for funds in order to build or to purchase buildings. So you remember the story I told you that some invested in that work. Well, he said, why can't that be a bigger thing? So what he decided was that a fund could be created through Christians across the United States that wanted to buy bonds. We'll offer you a bond. We'll guarantee you a 5% return on your bond. We take your money and we become a channel to loan that money to assemblies so that they can buy buildings or construct buildings. And so the real purpose was to see assembly testimonies all across the United States. That's Stewart's Foundation. That's the reason Stewart's Foundation was begun. Now, ten years before this, Mr. McCartney began letters of interest. And then a number of years later... He moved down to South Carolina and he began Christian Mission Press. So he was a very active man. Stewart's Foundation now is 71 years old. And through this period of time, our goal has been to establish foundations that stand sure for many generations. Now, by that, I mean literal physical foundations. We loan money for buildings. But essentially, that building's purpose is so that there can be spiritual foundations established within it. The building, obviously, is not the church. The people are, and and that's what we're interested in, is seeing those testimonies raised up. This is the advertisement on your left that was in Letters of Interest, April of 1945, announcing Stewart's Foundation. probably can't read the names of the men there, but those were the five men who signed the Articles of Incorporation, On the right-hand side is our current board of trustees. Some names you may recognize. We seem to have a heavy emphasis in the southeast of board members, but uh, these are the men that direct and lead Stewart's Foundation today. These are some of the buildings over the years that we've been involved in. Uh, I'm guessing that we've done 75 to $80 million worth of loans over our history uh, for facilities for the Lord's people. And I couldn't tell you how many buildings, but I know there was a period of time when we had in excess of 300 loans out in any given year. That's not true today. We have about 51. There's our loan program currently. When I began um, in 2010, we had a portfolio of about $5 million. The next seven years, we loaned out $11 million plus. So today we have a portfolio of loans of 10.6 million. In fact, at least one loan holder is here. One of the assemblies here. Manny's laughing. Yeah. We do these all across the United States. And there was a day when we did them in Canada. We don't do them really anymore in Canada because really our articles are directed towards the United States, articles of incorporation. So 71 years of loans. How many of you have heard of the health care assistance program that we have? A few of you. Well, you may or may not know that that began because Stewart's Foundation bought hospitals. Mr. McCartney was involved in a lot of real estate speculation or purchases for uh, his own personal portfolio. So he had a realtor that worked with him, and the realtor came to him one day and said, How would you like to buy a hospital? What in the world am I going to do with a hospital? Well, his mind was always thinking and turning, you know, how can I use something that will benefit the Lord's people? Well, he got to thinking about it. If you go to the hospital, what do you have? You have a physical need, don't you? Or you wouldn't go to the hospital unless you work there. But what do we all have? Spiritual needs. So he connected the dots and he said, if somebody's in the hospital because they have a physical need, chances are they have a spiritual need too. If we own the hospital, we can put chaplains in the hospital, and we can present the gospel to them. Well, that's a good idea. 
Well, you probably will know that in that period of time there were mission hospitals overseas, especially, for example, in Africa and Zambia. So he thought, if we own a hospital, we can train doctors and nurses, can't we? So they can go to the mission field. Another good reason to think about a hospital. To think about the possibility of offering to the Lord's servants, commended workers, free or nearly free medical care in these hospitals. So you see that the dots were lining up. And they bought their first hospital in Chicago, Belmont Community Hospital in 1953. Well, they took what was a poorly run hospital and they invested money in it. They built it up. They cleaned it up. And it became very popular. So popular that somebody out in Auburn, Washington heard about it. And they said, we've got a hospital we'd like for you to buy out here. (laughs) Well, they bought that one, too. And it just kept going until they owned six of them. Four in the Seattle area, two in the Chicago area. Well, the hospitals were a great idea, and they worked pretty well for a period of time. The problem is, as nonprofits, uh, Mr. McCartney said, you know, we can benefit. Stewart's Foundation can benefit from the hospitals, from the proceeds of the hospitals. The IRS said, no, you really can't do that. You can't mix money from nonprofits like that. And so they ran into a lot of issues with the IRS, and they fought them for a period of time. But eventually, in 1982, they said, okay, we're done. They sold the hospitals. Well, at that point, the idea was, let's see what else we can do to help. We don't have the hospitals anymore. Sorry. That's okay. Did you get it? Yeah. Thanks. Uh-huh. They thought, you know, we have money from the proceeds of these hospitals. Let's see what we can do to help the Lord's servants. So for a number of years, they were simply paying out of pocket all the medical expenses that came to them from commended workers. As you might imagine, in that time period, medical expenses were increasing. And so Stewart's Foundation was beginning to think, boy, we can't continue to do this. It's going to bankrupt us. And so eventually they said, we're going to transition out of the paying of medical expenses to a gift. Now, this is from 1990 to 2016. That's just a period of time that I selected. But in that time period, we gave away almost $23 million in in expenses to cover the health care cost of commended workers. The nine point, almost five million you see was out of our pocket. That wasn't profit. That was just out of our pocket. Now, if any of you here are business owners, you'll know you can't keep doing that. Your business is all of a sudden out of money. And so in 1995, it was transitioned. This program was transitioned into an annual gift through the commending assemblies to the commended worker. We're not elders in these assemblies. And these workers are not responsible to us or us to them in that sense of oversight. So the gift goes through the commending assembly, through the elders, to the worker. And since 1995, we've given away $14.6 million. We were still bleeding a little bit because $3.6 million of it was coming out of our pocket. More recently, beginning in 2011, the Board of Trustees said we're going to have to discontinue taking money out of our pocket. And so they... Be- began to gradually reduce what was taken out of the principal fund or our pocket until today we don't do that anymore. We're, we're only giving away cash profit, but we are giving that away. I think last year was $237,000. There are roughly 312 commended workers in that program. That's families, couples, singles. Um, we are currently looking at a way to better utilize our money because no doubt there are more than 312 commended workers in the United States. And so we're looking at another way of doing this. Um, If we get that worked out, then we will certainly let everyone know what we're planning. Investments in Stewards Foundation. Remember I told you that Mr. McCartney said 
Christians are actually good stewards generally. And so not only will they loan their money for the benefit of others, but if others borrow it, they'll pay it back. Now, since I've been at Stewards Foundation, uh, there's only been one default on a loan. Actually, it was in process when I started. I know very few loan defaults in our history, maybe two or three that I'm aware of. That's pretty remarkable. If you took that to the bank, I mean, I could go to the bank and I could sell our loans because they pay. Most banks would say, we'll take that. So we know who we're dealing with. And we're dealing with people that often do not want debt. And so they're going to pay it back and they're going to pay it back fast. And by the way, our loans have no prepayment penalty. You can pay it back as fast as you want to pay it back. But in 1945, as this program was beginning and bonds were being sold, um, many people were buying them. You can look at the records. In fact, I spent a day with uh, William McCartney's daughter down in South Carolina a few years ago. And she remembers as a little girl buying one of these, buying a bond. I don't know, it was probably $10. But they had a multitude of people that were buying them. And it was a great source of funds. But... You know, things change, don't they? Uh, Eventually, they began to realize they were paying too much in order to sustain the program. So in 1994, this program was converted into the demand note program. Boulevard had one of those. How many know what a demand note is? Well, that just means if you loan your money, give your money to us, and we're using it, and all of a sudden you need it, you can demand it. So we have to give it back. Well, that doesn't work too well with a 15-year loan, does it? If you came to me and said, I need my money, I'd say, well, that's great, but he has it in the loan over here. You remember, it's, it's a wonderful life, right? We don't have your money. It's in all of your houses. It's in all of your loans. So we were using the demand note funds essentially as an investment source so that the benefit to us basically was the difference between what we were earning in our investments and what we were paying. And it's not as though that was a bad thing, but we really couldn't use it in long-term loans. We decided as we were watching loan demand go up that we needed another source of income. We thought, well, we'll just go back and sell some more demand notes. We began to speak with attorneys about that. And the attorneys said, well, what do you do now? And we told them what we were doing, and they said, hmm, that doesn't really comply with SEC regulations. We didn't know that. We said, what do we have to do? And they said, well, you're going to have to pay us a lot of money to go to every state where you have a demand note and make sure that you're compliant with every state's SEC board. Well, you can see, you know, the attorneys. Actually, these were good guys. I shouldn't throw them under the bus. But, you know, there there was a lot of expense involved in that. And so essentially the board said, you know, we can't afford to do this. So in the fall of 2013, we sent back $2.98 million in demand notes to all the demand note holders. So we don't currently have a means of investing like this in Stewards Foundation. People ask me all the time, how can we invest in Stewards Foundation? We like what you're doing. Well, here's the way to do it if you're interested. That's through planned giving. And Dave Allison is going to explain to you all about that. I'm, I'm not going to go into detail for one thing. He's the expert. I'm not. But our services really to the assemblies were a result of those who invested in Stewards Foundation. Nobody was sitting on a pot of money and said, we can use this for the Lord's work. It came through individuals investing in Stewards Foundation. So we have that opportunity still through planned giving. Now, some send us contributions That's fine. We appreciate that. But if you want a way to invest that's beneficial to you as well as to us, then I think Dave can explain how that works. There are a lot of worthy service organizations out there. We're not the only one. But if you particularly want to assist us through investment, then this is a way to do that. So you have charitable gift annuities, charitable remainder trust, and other Investment vehicles and stewards foundation. So as you're thinking about your estate, and as Dave, I think, is going to talk about a Christian legacy, then that's one way to to do it. 
So why would you come to us for a loan? Why not just go to the bank? That was the question many, many years ago in Mr. McCartney's assembly. Why not just go to the bank? Well, let me suggest some reasons. Personal guarantees. The bank is generally going to want that. So they're going to pick out the four or five biggest donors in your assembly, and they're going to say, we want to see your tax returns. We want to see your bank statements. And we want you to guarantee this loan in the event of failure. How many want to do that? I don't. We don't ask for any of that. How about prepayment penalties, as I mentioned a minute ago? Banks often will charge you a penalty. If you pay off early, they're not going to make as much interest. So they're going to get theirs, and they're going to do it through a prepayment penalty. We don't have that. How about late penalties? We don't charge any late penalties. If you get behind, we try and figure out why, and then we try and help you if we need to get through that tough period. We work with you. We want you to pay the loan back, but we will work with you. You won't see any additional penalties on your statements. How about fees? We have no fees for our loans. You could send me an application every week for a month or whatever, and there'd be no fee for that application. There's two things you pay. You pay for the legal work. doesn't go to us. goes to our attorney. And you pay for a title policy, title insurance and a policy. That's because we're going to hold a mortgage on your building, on your property, and we have to make sure that it's free and clear of liens. We only do loans when we're first lien position. So if there's other liens in place, we need to clear those out. We need to work through those things. But no fees. How about profits? Where are the profits going in the bank's loan? Well, there's shareholders probably that are benefiting from that. And that's fine. That's what they do. But our profits, as I said a minute ago, our cash profit is going out again to help commended workers with their health care expenses. And, of course, our motivation. Our motivation really is to see New Testament patterned assemblies continue to be established or to grow wherever they're located. That's our motivation. That's why we do this. We are competitive. If you get a written written offer from your bank, then we'll certainly take a look at that, and we'll do everything we can to be competitive. There are occasions when the bank's just a better deal. But you have to compare everything across the board, especially what's in this chart. We like to think of ourselves as more than just a source for money, for loans. We're actually a resource. Now, I'm a licensed architect. I had my own practice for 24 years in the state of Texas before I closed that practice to take this job. I can't offer architectural services in Florida or anywhere else. I'm only licensed in Texas now. But what that means is if you come to us and you're interested in a loan and you say, we want to build something, I can say, send me your plans. Send me your contract with your architect. Send me your contract with the contractor. And I'll look it over and I will tell you whether you're getting snookered or not. I'll assist you with that. There's, there's no hidden agenda here. I'm on your side. I normally... In these relationships, everybody's on their own side. I'm on your side. I could give you names and places of people that have come to us for loans, and I've made recommendations to them, and they haven't followed them. They've ignored them. And they've come back to me later and said, if, if anybody ever does this, give them my name and number and have them call me so they won't do it. Um, there are a lot of things that you won't know about purchasing a building. There are a lot of things you won't know about constructing a building or designing a building. I have the experience to help you with those things, and I want to do that. And it doesn't really matter whether you're borrowing money from us or not. That's not the bottom line. The bottom line for me is to help you. And so if you need that help, whether you need financing or not, I'll be glad to help you as best I can with that. So... We're a resource for all things around loans. We're not just a source for money. Finally, I found this at the back of many of our old financial reports. 
you know, going back 60 years. This was often on the back of it. And I think it's a great way to end the presentation this morning. Because, you see, it, it would be easy for us to break our arms trying to pat ourselves on the back. How, how many of you watch the Olympics? Did you watch the swimming? Did you see Michael Phelps when he... I can't do that. That would hurt. He could pat himself on the back. I, we're not here to pat ourselves on the back. We're here to tell you that the Lord's done great things. And he's done those great things, sometimes in spite of us. But he also has chosen to use us, and we're happy for that. We're glad to be used in whatever way we can. That's Stewart's Foundation, 71 years in a nutshell. Obviously, I can't get it all in a PowerPoint presentation because you'd start going to sleep on me and rightfully slow. So, But I'm going to stop, and if you have any questions, I'd be glad to answer them now. After lunch, I'll be here. If you have questions then, you want to speak to me personally, individually, I'll be happy to do that as well. Any questions? Dave smiling. <laughs> no, it is not. Believer Stewardship Services is a separate entity, but I will tell you, we really appreciate them. Uh, one of the first phone calls I got after I started was from a man by the name of Randy Costello, and he was the chairman of the board of BSS, and then Dave Allison not long after, wanting to create a relationship between the two organizations. And we have an excellent relationship with them. Uh, just so you'll know, I didn't put it up here. Uh, I think we have about 6 or $7 million in investments right now in BSS handles that for us. So we have a, a great relationship with them, not to mention the fact that we have some common board members between the two organizations. Yes? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and we're happy that worked for you. Yes. That is going to be something that the man sitting right next to you will address. So I'm going to defer that question to him. Yes. I guess I have two questions. I'm from North Miami. Uh-huh. In, um, in the previous slide, you mentioned about being a resource. Uh-huh. Sure. Uh, the question is, to what extent do I get involved in a construction process, like, for example, with architects, maybe with builders? Um, as I said earlier, I'm still licensed in the state of Texas. I've maintained my registration there, but I'm not licensed in Miami. I cannot offer you architectural services. That's against the law. What I can do, though, is take things that you're considering, a contract with an architect, a set of plans, contract with a, a builder, and review those and make suggestions to you as to what you could, should consider. Um, but, I, you know, I can't offer you architectural services. I have, I have clients, old clients that still come to me and say, would you do this? I just I can't do that. Don't have time. So, but I'll be glad to review anything and make any suggestions. No. This is the attorney. <laughs> yes. I know the student foundation give loans to churches and pastors, but they give loans to church believers and are they interest rate raisers or give them to the bank? Well that depends on where you are. Yeah, sorry. Uh, he said he knows that we make loans to churches. The question is are the interest rates we offer the same or equal to the banks? Or less, 
whatever the case may be. It, it really depends on where you're located. Uh, some of our interest rates, if we offered them in New York, they'd jump on them quickly. Some of them in smaller communities, they say that's kind of high. We look at it and say, well, we will, as I said earlier, we will compete with a bank in your area. The important thing there is to get it in writing from the bank. The bank will tell you a lot of things. They just say, oh, sure, we'll do, you know, 5%. Well, what they don't tell you is what comes along with that 5%. You know, there are a lot of fees. There are a lot of extraneous things, hoops you have to jump through. They want all your personal information. You really have to make a full comparison, an apples-to-apples comparison. As I said, we won't always be the best uh, interest rate compared to the bank, but we will probably give you the best opportunity for a loan without extraneous things, and we will do it in a way that's open so there's, there's nothing hidden. You'll know exactly what you're going into with all the cost. Does that answer your question? Okay. Yes. Uh, regarding the health care assistance program, did you say that's still active today? It is. And does that apply to uh, just foreign workers or home workers too, or how does that work? Can you repeat the question? I will. <laughs> the question is, does the health care assistance program, is it still active today? And does it apply to both stateside and overseas workers? Uh, it is still active today. Uh, roughly 40% of those in that program are overseas. So it's, it's both, stateside and, and uh, overseas. Now, I will tell you this. Uh, when I began in 2010, uh, at, well, it's not up, slide's not up. In 1995, when they transitioned over to the gift, the door was essentially closed to any new additions to that program. The board of trustees said, we're not adding anybody to this program because we've got to get our feet back on the ground financially. When I began in 2010, the board said, we want to open this door up again. But they said, the way that happens is a current loan holder who has commended workers can request that their workers be added. And essentially, that's because the loan proceeds are what support the gift. That's the way the money's coming in. That's the way that it goes out. So over the last seven years, we've added roughly 55 to that program that are now part of what we refer to as HCAP, the Health Care Assistance Program. So let me just add another question. That. So, so is there an application process? I mean, I, I, I missed that. So. The question is... Is there an application process to be added to the program? There is. Uh, every year, assemblies that have loans with us, we send out a little request saying, if you have commended workers that aren't in this program, let us know. We send them an application package, and they fill that out, send it back to us. There is an eligibility criteria that's established by the board in order to be a part of that program. And so there's a little process involved there, but as I say, we've added... I think it's roughly 55. We call them units. That kind of sounds impersonal, but we don't know. They're either families or couples or singles. And so. Any other questions? Yep. Uh, just for clarification, uh, your loan program is, is primarily towards uh, local assemblies and That is correct. We don't do individual loans. We don't do car loans. Um, Well, you laugh. I've had that asked. And and that's fine. I don't mind people asking as long as they accept the answer. (laughs) Uh, No, we're focused primarily on loans for assembly facilities. Now, that can branch a little bit. You know, we've done a couple of gymnasium loans that are really a part of an active ministry from the assembly, one up in Detroit. I've actually been to that facility and seen how they're using that gymnasium for the gospel. I mean, they're bringing kids off the street to play basketball. And then they say, okay, you get to play basketball, we'll feed you, and then you sit down, you're going to listen to what we say. And they do it. So I have a question. Stewards gets income from loans, you said, and 
investments? And are there any other sources of income? The question is, Stewards gets loans from loans and then also from investments. Are there any other sources of income? Well, we have a couple of trusts that we currently are administering, and there will be some income at the end of that. Uh, we do have occasion, occasional gifts that come in, contributions. Uh, with the healthcare assistance program, and this is directly for that program, uh, we have what's called the 100% pass-through fund. So if you want to give to assist those commended workers in HCAP, if you send us a check, it goes straight through. We don't take anything out of it. So at the end of the year, once the board has allocated the amount given to the commended workers from our profits, we add that amount to it. So then the question is, loans and investments are the primary source of income. Uh, really, we want that to be loans. And you could see from the slide I showed you earlier, you know, we probably had... I can't remember, $15 million in investments when I started. We worked hard to push it over into loans because that's, that's our motivation. If you had money in the stock market when the recession hit, you know what happened to it. It happened to us, too, because we had way too much in that venue in the market. And the board said, we don't want money there. We want money in loans because that's where we're helping people. Not only that, but that's a safe place to invest your money because we'll get it back. So we do have, uh, like I said earlier, about $7 million. We'd like to have less than that. But that's all dependent on the loan demand. And if you look at the graph of our loans, uh, we've gone from $3.6 million down to $1.6, up to $3, down to $1.6, and then down to 180000 back up to 900000 and this past year 233000 so if you like Six Flags, you'd like that loan graph because it just, it's all over. And we don't know how to predict that. It's really just a matter of the need at any given time in any given year. Now, you, you mentioned a couple times about people buying bonds. which I'm assuming that that's part of the money that you would get into that loan program. Or do you not do that anymore? Or what does it cost to do that? Well, we can't really do that easily. We looked at... Um, redoing, starting again with the bond program. But as I said, the cost was just exorbitant. You see, today, because of all the thieves out there, the government really has their finger in a lot of things. At the federal level, the SEC takes a 501c3, a nonprofit, and says, we don't care too much about what you're doing if you're selling a security, which is what a bond is. Every state does care. And every state SEC board has their own regulations. So if you advertise a bond on your website, then you have to assume that somebody from any state might want to invest. And so you have to satisfy the demands of every state. So you have to pay an attorney, essentially, to make sure that every year that you're offering a bond, you're in compliance with that state's regulation. That's a lot. Now, let's say we did that. Let's say we went out and we said we're going to offer bonds in all 50 states, and we want to generate about $5 million in income. Well, then there's a couple of problems. First of all, we have to look at what it costs us to do it. We have to look at what we have to offer to get the money in, and then what we're doing with the money at the other end. So that if it's going into a loan, let's say it's a 6% loan, and I need to make enough of a spread to pay the bills and to have some income, and I come to you and I say, I want your money for 2% for 10 years. Any takers? No. Not only that, but if you did take it and I didn't have the loans, then I'd have to put it in investments. And see, our investments have to be relatively conservative because you know if you need the money for a loan, you have to sell, and you have to do it at the wrong time, what happens? You lose money. It's a very risky venture. And the board, I think, was very wise to say, we can't do this. We cannot do this. We'll have to let the Lord provide in other ways. And so that's why I say, you know, the, the plan giving option is, is the best way. If you have an interest in supporting us, that's the best way to do that. Yes. 
just trying to put all the pieces together here. And, uh, when you get that figured out, would you explain well, it to me? <laughs> it kind of intrigued me when you were painting the picture of the graph mm-hmm. with the fluctuation in the demand needs that are there. And you have mentioned about uh, you have to be careful with your investments. And so there are periods of time when your loan demand is low and your income off of your existing loans surpasses the need that's out there that you have to take that and put it in an investment vehicle of your own. And I was just wondering, what type of investment vehicles do you use? Because I think all of us are faced with similar situations that you as a foundation have where you want relatively safe investment opportunities. So where do you go with your excess investment needs? Kind of to park that Mm -hmm. so that it's available as the loan needs arise. I'm going to have to repeat that, aren't I? <laughs> Just a question for you. Yeah. The, I think the essence of the question is, where do we put our money in investments when it's not needed for loans? Well, there's a young man at BSS by the name of Drew Tickey who is times over smarter than me. And we call Drew up and we say, Drew, we've got some money we need to put in investments and we need you to help us with that. And he does every time. That doesn't really answer your question. Technically speaking, I could not tell you how he handles our investments. But what I do is stay in touch with Drew. I say, Drew, I'm looking out on the horizon. Like right now, I've got a spreadsheet that says if every loan came in that's possible, that means I'm talking to people. We've sent applications out there. We've got roughly $2.7 million in loan possibilities. But I have to be able to judge whether they're realities or not. Roughly 25% of the applications we send out turn into real loans. Okay, well, is that 25% of the million-dollar loans or the $25,000 loans? It's a little difficult to judge. So I stay in touch with Drew. I give him a forecast of what I think we're going to need somewhere in the, the near term. And he has our investments juggled so that some's in cash. There's some in equities. He tries to keep the cash so that it's available for the loans. You know, we're, we're just an oddity, I guess, in the sense that we, we just can't easily predict where, where our loans will be at any given time. So I, I, probably the best thing to do, though, would be to talk with Dave and then I don't know if he talks to Drew or just goes to you, Dave. You, he'll explain that. Yes, sir. One of your requirements is to see your financial statement of the church. Yes. I suppose there's a church that's in great need, but when they show you their financial statement, they are running at a loss. How would you encourage them? Do you mind repeating? I will. The question is if we. Um, are working with an assembly that needs a loan. We look at their financial statements and they're running at a loss. How would we encourage them? How would we help them? Well, we do have some ways that we can help assemblies. We really have to look at the particular situation. Um, A lot of times we have found that assemblies that come to us with a loan application have what we refer to as discretionary funds but I get in trouble for saying that sometimes because a lot of that discretionary money is money they're giving to the Lord's work in fellowship you know my home assembly and many home assemblies don't look at themselves as a place to just park money the money's moving through right we're trying to help those that are out in the field doing the Lord's work And so when you come to us with a financial statement and it shows a loss, but we look at how much you're giving, then we spend some time talking with elders. We say, is it possible to pull back on that sum? The elders may say no. And in that case, we may be in a difficult situation to actually help. There there may be some opportunity for us to assist financially. 
But really, when you're looking at a loan, it's a long-term investment. And one of the things that we require is that the assembly put 20% into their project. We'll loan up to 80%. The assembly puts in 20%. See, to us, that suggests that the assembly is serious about the project. They've thought about it. They've planned for it. And so they're preparing themselves financially for what's ahead. And so it, it requires some planning on the assembly's part, the elders' part, or the trustees or deacons to prepare for this. You know, what scripture say? No man goes to war without counting the cost or building a tower without counting the cost. So we can't always help in that situation, but we certainly try. Yes, sir. Essentially, uh, loans are the core of the business. Um, can you tell us the different categories at a high level of loans that you work with? I'm not sure. I'll repeat the question, but I'm not sure I understand it. Yeah, like what different type of projects, I guess, uh, you, you loan on? Okay. The question is what different kinds of loans or projects do we loan for? Well, uh, if you want to buy a building if you want to construct a building, if you want to remodel a building, if you want to expand, renovate, pick your term. Uh, we've got a couple of very small loans right now we're working with down in uh, South Carolina, one up in Detroit. They need a new roof. They need new windows. They need new air conditioning. Uh, anytime you come to us and you have a loan need of $50,000 or less, we call that a small loan, not because it's small to me in amount, but we call it a small loan, so the process is a little faster. Uh, in that particular situation, the president and myself can approve the loan. Otherwise, our loans always go to the board of trustees for approval. We review them. We look at the financials. We take the loan then to a meeting with the board. I make a recommendation. The board makes a decision. But we have a number of different types of loans. We do refinances. Some people have come to us and said, we've got a current loan. It's got a balloon note in it. The balloon note's coming up. Who knows where the interest rate's going to be? Will you refinance it? Uh, we do notes with balloon, uh, loans with balloon notes in them. We don't generally like to do that. Most people don't like them. If you don't know what a balloon note, know what a balloon note is? Okay. That just means that if I do a 20-year loan with a 10-year balloon note, that means at 10 years you owe us everything back. It's due then. What helps you is the 20-year amortization. That pulls your payment down. But that means at 10 years, it's all due. Now, what typically happens is you refinance the loan at 10 years. But who knows what the interest rate's going to be like then? Or we do adjustable rate loans. You know, a lot of people got in trouble with those with their homes. We'll do them just to help if we need to. Uh, we have one right now. In fact, we're getting ready to refinance because the rate's about to adjust. <laughs> and they want to they get into a fixed uh, loan, loan term. Right now... The longest we go out on a loan is 15 years. We used to do 20 and 30 years, but we've just found that's really too far to extend ourselves out with a fixed interest rate. So we'll do 15 years. Did that answer your question? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Uh, the question is, do we do a loan for something like a parking lot to be repaved or redone? Okay. Uh, yes. Yep, we do that. Uh, just finished a loan for $15,000 recently up in the northeast for a retaining wall in a parking lot. The one I mentioned up in Detroit is for uh, basically air conditioning in a parking lot. We would do that. The answer to your question on the terms, you know, the smaller loans, we try and keep them shorter. Uh, just because it helps you and it helps us. You know, the longer the loan goes, the more you pay us in interest. And it's, it's a little better for you to, if you can do it, bite the bullet on a little bit higher payments on a shorter-term loan and pay less interest in the long term. Or you can pay it off early. Um, you know, generally on loans like that, we're going to try and do something five to seven years, maybe ten. The interest rate is not always lower. In fact, sometimes it's higher. And here's the reason for that. It takes us just as long in the office to handle that loan sometimes as it does a larger loan. So the effort, the work involved in the loan is not much less 
because it's a smaller loan. There's no economy of scale, as we might say. But that, again, depends on the, the loan and the situation. I can't put everybody in a box and say, you, you fit in here, this is the interest rate, this, these are the terms in every loan. I can't do that because everyone's different. We see some groups that have real financial needs, and we work really hard to help them if they have that need. And, you know, we have some resources available if we need to do that. We don't want to turn anybody away if we don't have to. But we will say you can't afford this if you can't afford it. Something that didn't happen about, what, eight, nine years ago? And a lot of people lost their homes because of that. But we will tell you if we don't think you can afford it. But we'll keep working with you. We don't just say, don't come back. Yes? What type of uh, rate is your interest rate, meaning compound? Or, I know it's not simple if it's advertised, but... Well, it is simple interest. It is simple interest. Yeah, now the only time you get into compound interest is if you're doing a construction project. When you first take money from us, and by the way, that 20% from the assembly, we encourage you to use your money first. Because your money is your money. Our money is our money, and we're going to charge you interest for it. So as soon as you start taking money from us, we're going to start charging you interest. So during the construction phase, as we send money to you for that construction process, we will then send you a bill for the interest each time you take it. You have the option of paying it then, or you have the option of letting it ride to the end, paying it all then, or you have the option of adding it to your loan amount. That's when you pay compound interest because that interest is going into your principal, so you're paying interest on interest when you start your loan payments. Well, just that amount. Your interest amount, it's interest, and you're putting it into a principal balance, so you're paying interest not only on that but on the principal balance, so the interest then is compounded. Does that make sense? Our loans are simple interest rate. We don't compound interest. As I said, we don't hit you with fees and things like that that uh, complicate the loan. I, don't, I didn't ask the question, did I? Anything else? Okay. I think it's time for me to quit. Uh, I believe you want to.